0: When we uh, were talking earlier this morning, we were talking about the situation in British Columbia and uh, the arrests that were made at the latest protests around the pipeline uh, installation there. And among the people who were arrested were journalists, three of them. One was released immediately, but two of them spent three days in jail. Now, for a guy who's been in media a long time, I know how um, the journalism community reacts to that. And it's not favorably. That's not supposed to happen. Um, And that's been through the courts uh, many, many times. So, What happened there? What is the situation? We're going to chat now with Peter Jacobson, who is a partner at Weirfolds LLP and the chair of the Canadian Issues Committee of the Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate you joining us.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: So the situation in northern BC there, um, what happened? Do we know how these journalists got swept up in these arrests? I think it was 15 protesters and three journalists all told, right?
1: Well, we, we only know from what the journalists have told us, which I think is pretty reliable, that they indicated to the, uh, to the RCMP that they were journalists. Uh, they were in the area that, uh, that the injunction applied to. Um, <clears throat> but it seemed to be of little moment for the police uh, that they were journalists. They mm-hmm. didn't seem to care. They got swept up in this. Um, they could have been released on Friday. Uh, after they were arrested, but instead the uh, RCMP uh, um, took them uh, about three hundred and fifty kilometers overland uh, to St George to Prince George rather and and um, as a result, they were in police custody, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. Once they got to the court in Prince George, they were released. So it looked very, very punitive to many, and it certainly is contrary to what other courts have decided in Canada on this very issue, particularly when it relates to um, Aboriginal uh, situations where there's, you know, a land uh, land protection issue go- uh, being asserted by the <clears throat> by the Aboriginal people. And what it means, of course, is that the RCMP didn't seem to be very sensitive to the fact that these were journalists and they should not be treated the same way as others who are actually subject to the injunction. I would argue that they weren't even subject to the injunction. The injunction was not meant to apply to them.
0: In fact, they've, so, been, they've been cut out. There's been special mention in the courts that journalists are not to be interfered with, is there not?
1: That's that's right. That's what happened at Ferry Lake. Um, uh, the court made it explicitly clear. There was a situation in in uh, Newfoundland uh, about uh, in uh, two thousand and nineteen, where the uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Court of Appeal made it extremely clear that the <clears throat> the protesters or the land protectors who are subject to the injunction, are not to be treated the same way as journalists. Journalists are not subject to these injunctions. And, of course, there's a good reason for that, and that is so that we can have some eyes and ears there to see how both the protesters are doing and how the RCMP or the police are treating them. Otherwise, all of this happens in in a dark black box, and no one can really know what happened. Um, as we know from the, the, um, the situation that we were just talking about, there is uh, there were some photographs taken uh, on the 19th of January uh, when the police were clearing out some of the protesters, which never were able to see the light of day because the police seized the equipment. Now, whether they knew that or not, I don't know, but it certainly causes people to be very suspicious. When the police are, are taking away your ability to film them, um, it makes you wonder why they are doing that. And I'm not saying that they, they did it for that reason. I don't know, but it certainly uh, harms any concepts of trying to further reconciliation or trust in police.
0: Now, the the big debate seems to be centered around whether or not RCMP knew they were working journalists. That seems to be the discussion here. And the journalists are saying, we identified ourselves. Uh, the companies are saying, yeah, you didn't. It, it took too long. I mean, w- ultimately, is there a better way of identifying journalists in situations like this?
1: <clears throat> well, for one of the journalists, uh, for, for Bracken, uh, she was wearing her identification on her And in fact, uh, I understand that she had pinned to her chest uh, the letter of... of, um, Assignment. uh, Pardon me?
0: Her assignment that that she received from the publication. the
1: letter of her assignment. Um, And her employer had written to the police to say, look, she's there. She's there as a, a journalist. This is well before she went in. Now, we've done that previously for journalists, um, and made it very clear to the police that these people are there as journalists. Um, So there's no question that they knew, or I'm not saying that the particular policeman on the ground that arrested knew, but the police certainly knew, and if the particular policeman on the ground didn't know, that's because of the failure of communications within the RCMP, which frankly um, is is inexplicable in
0: these situations. Um, when it comes to situations like this, you know, and I'm getting texts, so what, they were released. They're not in jail anymore. They were released. I'm um, Having been a reporter, I know that getting sent to cover an assignment uh, with the threat of three or four nights in jail uh, would be a deterrent. Um, when journalists are treated this way or arrested or subjected to this kind of uh, treatment, it is going to be a deterrent to publications and to reporters to go and cover these events.
1: Absolutely. And I've got to say that these journalists um, uh, were probably aware of that possibility and were extremely brave in what they did. Um, I I was absolutely astounded to see them um, incarcerated for three days and three nights. I mean, generally speaking, what happens is these people are released on their own recognizance and an undertaking that they will obey the injunction, um, which, which these two reporters did, in spite of the fact that this injunction does not technically apply to them, but they were not barred from going back to the location afterwards, which makes me think that it's pretty well conceded that they weren't doing anything harmful. They weren't getting in the way of the investigation. They were reporting on it. Um, I think the police have a lot to answer for in this, but rather than answer for it as being the prime concern, what I want to see happen is the courts make very explicit in these injunction orders that the police are to clearly distinguish between reporters and participants. And uh, if that happens, and the courts have said that should happen in other cases, if that happens, that at least gives the reporters some degree of assurance that they won't end up in the situation you've just outlined. Mm-hmm. And they won't be afraid to go and cover these things.
0: Yeah, and I guess, I mean, there are court dates set for next spring in terms of, because, I mean, you know, they will have to prove, um, you know, what they were, that they weren't involved in activism. I mean, the the story isn't completely over, but they are out of jail, I guess, is the bottom line, right?
1: Yeah, they're out of jail, but they still have to go back and answer the charge in February. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me at all if before that happens, the charge gets dropped. That's typically what happens in these situations is that, you know, people get arrested on something that's regarded as relatively minor. Uh, the punishment really is living under the, uh, the threat of going back to court and possible fines or incarceration, and then they are, uh, they are discharged. Now, it may be that the police will see this as such a high uh, priority right. uh, uh, thing that they won't want to do that, but for, in normal situations, People do not get incarcerated for three nights and three days and transferred uh, hundreds of kilometers overland uh, for participating in an uh, for participating like this.
0: No, and indeed, the lawyer for the company has said they're allowed to go back because they have a legitimate journalistic reason to be there. So um, they, they've already decided to go along with the injunction regarding these two.
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. So I mean, it's the whole thing. I mean. <clears throat> the police should be doing uh, a public service here and arresting journalists is exactly the opposite of that. So hopefully they will have learned. I mean, we all learn as we go along in these situations. Um, And not all police are bad, and the RCMP isn't a horrible organization, but it does have a lot to answer for in this situation, and it has had some severe criticism about racist activities in the past. Hopefully they will see their way to improving on this particular issue because journalists if journalists aren't there, we don't know what's really happening, which could be bad for the police as well. I mean, I note that in Toronto police are wearing uh web uh, wearing cameras, and the reason they do it is so that members of the public won't allege that they did things they didn't do. Let's do that when we have these uh incendiary protests going on where So we can be sure that uh, allegations against the police are unfounded and that journalists are not being mistreated.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get to the bottom of it. Peter, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you.
0: Um, And I think that's the that's the bottom line here, because you've got a he said, she said, uh, they said, we said kind of a situation going on here right now. When you take a look at it. these journalists, you know, the RCMP say they were in areas they weren't supposed to be in. Um, they say, "No, we weren't." Um, so, and then a lot of you on the text line raising the question in terms of who 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 is entitled to call themselves a journalist? Because you're right um everybody with a with a cell phone runs around calling themselves a citizen journalist or or whatever that is and um, but in this case, these two were well known and have worked there for a long time and were clearly identified as journalists so uh, I don't think it's an area where oh, I'm a journalist no, you're not you, you' you've got a blog you're not a journalist um so I think that that line is is a little fuzzy you know who who is entitled to the protections of press in a situation like this? Um, And who isn't? And if the journalists are misusing that privilege and no longer um, just observers, but are actively participating, then they've crossed the line and they're no longer uh, entitled to the protection of press. I mean, that's the thing when it comes to accredited media. There are rules and there are guidelines that need to be followed. And, and, And as we said, this will end up in court. And we'll, we'll get to the situation, and we'll get the details, and, and we'll see which way it goes. Because right now, RCMP are saying one thing, and the journalists are saying another, and we'll get to the bottom of it.